Thanks for joining us today. This is Kevin Mullins, pastor at Broad River Church. And we're really grateful that you checked us out. If this message has been inspiring to you, we hope that you visit our website at broadriver.church. And you can go to the plan a visit page and see if there's a time that you could visit Broad River Church in person. You also can give at that same webpage. And you can check us out also on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Broad River Church. We hope this message is a blessing to you. morning. I'd like to invite you to scripture this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 13. And you can go there on page 235 if you're using the blue Bibles that are there in front of you. If you're on the front row, they're down underneath your chairs. We are continuing a series of messages today called, This Burden is Light. And what's actually happening in these weeks leading up to Easter is that we are examining some contrasting ways to live actually diametrically opposed ways of thinking. And it's not just so that we can understand new things. Most of us have heard enough information uh, to last us the rest of our lives. It's not just so that we can examine the two things and say, well, this is better than that. We're taking an invitation that Jesus gave seriously one time when he was talking, and he said, come to me, everybody that's weak. Everyone that's burdened down underneath life and and everything else, and I will give you rest. I think I could get 100% of the people here today to sign up for the all-inclusive More Rest with Jesus package. But he didn't stop there. He wants to let us know how it is that we get the rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus was a rabbi, and the yoke of the rabbi was a very specific way of thinking, acting, and living. So that's why we're looking at these contrasts. Jesus is inviting us to take off one yoke, to take off one way of thinking, acting, and living, and to put on another. Last week, we looked at this early follower of Jesus named Peter and his problem with comparison, what it looks like to take the yoke of comparison off and put on the yoke of calling. Today, I want to talk to you about control and surrender. I just believe that we're in a season where God is not just downloading like kilobytes or gigabytes to us, but it's like terabytes that are coming our way to us all at once. This is big today because somebody's going to shift into something new. Let's look at a story of another man named Saul. He was a king, the father-in-law of David. Here's a quick outtake of his life in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8. He waited seven days. The time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. 
Samuel said to Paul, Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. I ask that you speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. My daughter Sheridan and I were meeting with a college advisor on Tuesday. So it is about that time for us again. Six months from now, we will be knee-deep in applications and fees and FAFSAs and other fun things. It's kind of overwhelming now because you don't just apply these days. You have to select if you're taking early action or if you're making an early decision or just regular applying. Lots of decisions to be made. But as I was sitting there, I was thinking of a conversation I'd had with someone right after we moved to Norwalk in 2007. Our three kids have come through the Norwalk public school system, but I remember this person was kind of catching me up on how the public school option was not the way to go. Now, I didn't tell them that it was our only option uh, so much, uh, and there wasn't really much for us to discuss and that we were fine with that. But as this was the person was describing how they were guiding their child that was at that point in the second grade, the overarching takeaway I had was, man, this parent is not going to leave anything to chance. Everything was going to be carefully managed and controlled. And all of this is rushing back to me as I am sitting in this office. And I'm today, I'm not questioning their love for their child. This was a, a parent that's determined to mark out every moment of their child's dash the way they thought best. But it's a fairly obvious example of how high a priority our culture places on being able to be in charge of everything about us. And by the way, I'm just trying to be nice to myself right now, and I'm not telling a story about me. Instead, I'm choosing to pick on this parent. This parent from a long time ago is is just a scapegoat for me. And all of you, we long to control our own lives. It's one of the first ways we cope with pain and heartache in our life. And let me be clear right up front, control isn't bad at every level. We should try to control abusive things in our lives. We should try to control those things that are harmful. But check it, when we become obsessed with managing our existence to the point that we stop trusting God and depending on Him, we enter the dangerous territory of seeking to become God ourselves, seeking to be sovereign over ourselves, seeking to be in control of every detail of what happens to you is a modern form of idolatry. And there's lots of ways we worship at this altar of control. We control with money. Money can create a distance between us and different challenges of life. It gives us a blanket of security. We we use power to control. We use sexuality to control. People use their beauty and their desire to control people. It's a force that keeps people addicted to us. We use words to control, adjusting people verbally, how they think about us. We use guilt and shame and even good things like obligation. It's a long list. Don't raise your hand this morning if you identify with all of them. And here's one you might not think of, and I'll say it in church. It's religion. 
A lot of people think that religion is about controlling us, but really religion can really be about our desire to control God. It's easy to get into this trap of thinking that if we're good enough, if we follow the rules just right, if we perform the formulas perfectly, we can force God into doing our will. And of course we do it because the world that we live in, it can be scary, so we're looking for every possible way we can to block out fear and anything that can keep us from the things that we want. And it seems like having God on our side is a pretty good idea, right? He can help us get what we want. This one is the one I want you to get most today. It's a word for people who have just come to faith in Jesus recently, or maybe you've returned back to Jesus after being away a while. It's for people who have been at this Jesus thing a long time. I would even say this is big for people who are here today that are really just discovering who Jesus is and what this whole church thing is about. Turn to someone close to you and say, sounds like it includes me. By the way, if you're in this last group, we're really glad you're here and hope this can be a place where you experience who God is. This last one is big because when we seek to control God, when we seek to narrate and control every detail of our story, it is a direct attack against what faith in God is all about. I like the way John Tyson said it. Christianity is not primarily a plan of protection against the brokenness of the world, but a relationship with Christ in the midst of it. And this is so big. It's so big that for those of you that grasp this, it's going to change the trajectory of the rest of your life. Is following Christ a plan of protection against a broken world, or is it a relationship with Christ in the middle of that broken world? Don't confuse the two, because if you do, you might think of God as just some kind of genie that keeps your anxiety away. I know how easy it is to think this way, because there's people who teach the Bible that way, but God is not a genie. Life is not a blank canvas. Reality is a complicated to get our thing to get our arms around. There's a battle going on in you between a God who wants to make you free and a world that wants to make you a slave. Your story is not a neutral one. It's contested. And if you try to use religion to manipulate God, it's going to distract you from the goal of your faith, which is to enjoy an intimate relationship with him. You know what I want for all of you, Broad River Church? I want you to experience the real deal, that you would not so be so focused on God's gifts that you miss the giver of the gifts. Hear me this morning. God is not just a way to rebuild your marriage and family. He'll do that too, but that's not it. God is not just your political advisor or your financial planner. So we'll come seeking things for him, power, wealth, family. But do we want God himself? God isn't a genie, and when we see him that way, when that's the part we ask God to play in our lives, it changes the way we see other people too. It's going to sound familiar if you were here last week, but if you have a controlling spirit, you can't love others' rights. Because for you, they're just like background singers to your starring role, and all they're good for is the value that they can add to your life. And we're getting to Saul, but before Saul, I want everyone here to identify with what Saul's problems was. It's the same problem that motivated that parent to not leave even one small thing to chance for their second grader. It's the same thing that grips at the heart of so many people here today. It's this instinct called fear. 
Fear is at the root of our desire to control. It's the fear of being left out. It's the fear of failure and rejection. It's a fear that our child will forget us when they leave home. It's fear that people will leave us. It's fear that our spouses are going to lose interest in us, that our beauty is going to fade, that our jobs will be automated, that our food will cause cancer, that morality in our country will be destroyed forever, that the market is going to crash, that our friends will move away, that our children will lose their faith, that we haven't fun yet. And by the time we get to Easter, we are going to be ready for it. It's easy to let a spirit of fear grip our hearts, but fear doesn't bring freedom. What, what does fear bring? So somebody, somebody over here said it's slavery. Which brings us to Saul. Saul is like a model for someone who tried to obsessively control his life. If, if Saul had a kid in the Norwalk public school system, he could have been that parent that freaked me out with all the things I should have been doing if I really cared for my child the way they did. 30 seconds on Saul. At some point, God's people decided they want a military leader to lead them. Saul was perfect. God chose him for them. He was tall and powerful. He was handsome. He loved God. You can read up on him starting in about Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 9. Listen, it's a tragic story. At the beginning, Saul tried to follow God's lead and lead Israel by God's will. But he had this really deep sense of insecurity. And that lack of security led to comparison and competition. We might have seen that recently, right? And those things started to distort his entire life. And right at this moment of deep insecurity, all of a sudden there's this new kid in town named David. And when David appears, Saul's life just starts to come apart. It starts to thread apart. There was this animal-like force that came awake in Saul because of David because he didn't want anyone to see David as better than him. Let's add on to last week and say it this way. When you compare yourself to others and you feel driven to compete with them, your only option left is to control them. And controlling other people is always abusive and never in love. In Saul's story, we can see three main ways that control will come alive in us. Write these down there on your Connect card if you're taking notes. Three ways we try to control God's work in our lives, seen in the person of Saul we try to control God's timing. Controlling timing. Saul was not willing to trust God's timing. And when we take things into our own hands, we take them out of God's hands. The story that we read is at a really crucial point in Saul's career. It's a crucial leadership moment. The backstory is that a whole bunch of Israel's enemies are getting ready for war, but God tells Saul, don't start fighting until this prophet named Samuel has come to offer a sacrifice. So Saul had to wait. Have you ever had to wait? And then it gets worse because the prophet gets delayed and Saul's soldiers start getting restless. In fact, some of them go beyond being restless. They take off. They leave his army. So as Saul is waiting, his army is growing smaller. Saul could not live in this moment of waiting. So he steps out of his role as king, and he steps into the role of priest. And he offers the sacrifice himself. He asks God to have favor on the battle. And as soon as he did it, say as soon as he did it, Samuel shows up. Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering, that you did not come when the Philistines were mustering. I said, now the Philistines will come against me. I have not sought the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself. I offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you've done foolishly. You haven't kept the command of the Lord. 
If you had done that, the Lord would have established your kingdom, but now your kingdom shall not continue. When we choose to act in our own time rather than waiting on God's time, we don't speed up the work in our lives, we corrupt it. When we act in our own time, we slow God's timing down. So, so you know that God wants you to date or marry someone who believes in God like you do. But since he hasn't brought the right person around in time, you convince yourself that you're destined to be alone forever and you go make it happen. We want control in our finances, but instead of waiting on God to resources, we get more credit. We stretch even further beyond our means so that we can have what we want now. We try to control others in our lives and we end up being in slavery to the consequences of the decision that fear drove us to. We control timing. We control obedience. This is an interesting one. A little bit later in Paul's life, there's another key moment where God had commanded him to do, completely destroy an enemy nation that he was fighting. They were called the Amalekites. They were some of the most wicked, violent people in the Bible. And God said, when you've defeated them, and I'm promising you the victory, God said, completely wipe them out. Not just all the people, but I want you to wipe out all the animals, all the stuff too. But when Saul got the victory that God had promised him and his army defeated him, Saul got rid of most everything. He got rid of all the weak animals, but he kept the good ones alive. He wanted to control so much that he actually hid things from God. He wanted to control so much that he actually controlled the way that he obeyed. Are you getting this? Partial obedience it's like when you tell your child, I want you to be in the house by 11 p.m. sharp, but they show up at 11.32. And when you say, what happened? Why are you late? They say, well, I was here the whole time. I was in the driveway talking. This may have happened once. We see partial obedience from Saul. As the prophet shows up again, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, 1 Samuel 15, verse 10. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Saul has all these excuses. He tries to defend himself. I, I just did what I thought was best. And Samuel and God aren't buying it. Verse 22, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. And presumption is iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. One way we see control is when we try to create the terms and conditions for how we'll obey God. But that never works because obedience, hear me this morning, obedience is about trust. And if I'm setting all the conditions, there is a lack of trust. It's all the time, y'all, instead of calling something that is sin in my life, instead of calling it as a, a sin and a violation of God's law, we'll just soften it. We'll say, you know, it's just my struggle. No, it's sin. When we manipulate scripture and read all the parts about love and grace and then blame other people for our failures so we don't have to accept responsibility for our choices. Hear me, you can't follow Christ if you won't obey him. 
We can put on an act. We can make everyone else think we're doing the deal. But you can't be a disciple without the cost of obedience. Jesus said, I want you to put on this new yoke. It's easy. It's light. You'll have rest. The last way we try to control God's work in our lives is by controlling threats. So something of meaning in our life is threatened. Something that has value for us is kept from us in some way. Some level of security we've gotten used to gets taken away, and so we spring into action to remove those threats. Sometimes it's just circumstances we find ourselves in. Sometimes it's just challenging problems we face, but most often these kinds of things come through other people. I already told you, Saul had a problem with this kid named David. Come to find out, David also had skill as a military leader. He was pretty good at politics, too. He was handsome. He was confident. He wrote poetry. I mean, come on. And Saul was obsessed with David. He actually hired him in to become a musician in his courts, kind of playing this whole thing out of you. You keep your friends closer and you keep your, your enemies, what? Close, even closer, Right? But the more David matured, the more he threatened Saul, and the more Saul's fear grew. The worst thing possible, the people started to like David more than Saul. Saul starts to lose his grip on reality. He he, he even ends up losing the loyalty of his own son named Jonathan to David. In fact, at one point, Saul was so desperate to keep David under control that Saul offered his daughter named Michael. Michael down here is, is, is having a good time right now. It's, it's her big moment. We have a Michael in the church. This is her big moment. Saul offered his daughter named Michael to be David's wife. But none of it worked to calm Saul's fear. And finally, Saul became violent toward David. Just, just buried in here, by the way, is the answer to why our world seems so violent. As Christians, we don't have to wonder when we see something happen, like again happened in New Zealand this last week. We don't have to wonder why it came from. We don't have to wonder like everybody else. The answer is right here. We see how destructive someone can get when they are driven by a spirit of control. Saul should have been using his energy and his vision to lead the people of Israel. He was the king. But instead, he decided to literally chase David around so he could kill him. The focus of his life became ending the life of somebody else. When you seek to control others, you're going to be stopped from living in the freedom of what God has called you to do. And instead of living forward toward God's call on your life, you'll be living backward. You'll be a slave to all the threats of others. Hear me this morning. It won't be the first time you've heard it. But I'm praying that God will do something new in every person in this place this morning. Control is an illusion. The more we try to minimize risk and get more power, the more we drive people away and we distance ourselves from God. And instead of securing our future, we make the future more doubtful. I want to just read something that Sky Jathani wrote in a book called The Divine Commodity. I'm reading it because I think it describes what a lot of us carry around in our hearts, but we won't say out loud. My secret is that I want to be relevant and popular I want my desires fulfilled and pain minimized. I want a manageable relationship with an institution rather than messy relationships with real people. 
I want to be transformed into the image of Christ by showing up at entertaining events rather than through the hard work of discipline. I want to wear my faith on my sleeve and not look at the darkness in my heart. And above all, I want a controllable God. I want a divine commodity to do my will on earth as well as in heaven. I've cried all week every time I've read this because it carries so much of where my heart of where my heart is, so much of what Christ is redeeming me from. Samuel, the prophet, cried when he saw what was happening to Saul. He even prayed intensely for Saul, but it was too late. What Saul learned is that when we want to rule our lives by our own hands, we take ourselves out of God's hands. And without God's help, without God's hands, let's use the Bible words this morning, without God's anointing, we are left hustling and scheming and trying so hard and disappointed, and we drive away the people that we love. Why did Jesus say that his burden is light? It wasn't a throwaway word for him because playing God and trying and attempting to control your own life is a very heavy burden. But I have good news. There's something called surrender that stands opposite of control. The antidote for a spirit of control is a spirit of surrender. Surrender is a posture. It's where we come humbly down off the throne of our own lives and we invite the one who really belongs there to take our place. Surrender is where we stop seeking to be king over ourselves and we trust the one who is over all things. And then to rest in knowing that he intends good things for us. I hear a lot of talk in the church about obedience. And obedience is good, but Guess what's better? Surrender. Obedience a lot of times is just a one-time decision, but surrender is a a long-term posture. Surrender is the posture of the kingdom of God. Surrender is better than obedience because do you know it's possible to obey God in your behavior but rebel against him in your hearts? It's like when the teacher tells little Johnny to sit down, and little Johnny says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. We can even try to manipulate God with our obedience, but surrender is different. Surrender is an open posture of love. Surrender isn't based on what you have to do. It's just based on trust. It's a free response. It's an attitude that any of us can put on. Obedience can happen in a moment, but surrender is about a lifetime. I read recently someone writing about surrender and relating it to the trapeze Got a picture of a trapeze bar, two trapeze artists in, in motion here. The definition of trapeze, I want you to hear this, is to give over, to return that which truly belongs to another. Second definition, to put one's full weight on something or someone else. In this art of trapeze is You're learning to to be caught. One of the most important things is there's going to be this moment where you let go of the bar and, and you're out there suspended in the air and waiting to be caught. And if you are going to be caught, if you're going to be caught safely as you're suspended in midair, you have to remain completely still to surrender control to the catcher. It's compared trapeze and surrender because this word trapeze 
and the Greek comes from the Greek word trapeza. This Greek word trapeza means table. And it's only used, this Greek word trapeza, one time in the New Testament. It's when Jesus gathers his friends around a table. We call it the Last Supper. It's the communion table. He teaches them that in order for him to gain his life and gain life for others, if you're going to gain your life, you're going to have to let go of your life. That the only way to hang on to one's life is to let go. And then he leaves that place and climbs up on the cross and he lets go. He hangs above the earth for three hours with his hands stretched out. He, he's there suspended in midair still. He doesn't move. He says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirits. He was saving us and he was teaching us about trust. God comes to you this morning and he says, let go. Will you let go? Will you let go? Will you take your hands off the wheel? Will you set aside the circumstances and the fear in your heart? And trust me, I'll catch you. St. Ignatius said that sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Listen, if you, until you get that, you're going to keep seeking to control your life. When we trust God, I don't want you to hear that trusting God is not about surrendering to chaos or to blind chance. We aren't just rolling the dice and hoping for the best. We are surrendering to love. And that act of surrender allows us to be caught in an embrace, an embrace that will never let us go. Would you pray this morning? Pray with me. And Lord, we do surrender to you. Lord, we, we surrender even as we're in midair and some of us feel like we are suspended in, in this place. Not really sure of where we're going to land, but this morning we, we trust in you and, and we're going to remain motionless. Not putting things in our own hands and taking them out of your hands. Not trying to control Timing and not trying to control through obedience, not trying to control in our threats, but just letting go and saying, God, you take the wheel. You be in charge. You be in control. Jesus, be the ruler, leader, and Lord of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Burn.